Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Good morning, it's radiotherapy time, Sunday morning in Melbourne town, although you might be listening uh, on demand or on our podcast and you could be in any kind of time zone, in any kind of location, wherever that may be and whenever it is, thanks for joining us. Huge thanks to the team of Radio Marinara talking all things wet and salty as is their want. It's Panel Beater here. Um, with you this morning, but I'm not alone. I'm here with Neonatal. Good morning, Neonatal. Good morning on this very, very sunny Sunday morning. Have you noticed the change in mood just this week? Oh, it's amazing. I love the sun. I love the weather. It is uh, a lovely spring. Um, and, you know, people are getting their vitamin D back again. Oh, wow. <laughs> not to mention the smile on faces. You really significantly notice shoulders aren't as slooped and uh, people are actually smiling a little bit more on the, in the Yeah, sun. it might be related to the vitamin D. It might just be related to everyone not wearing about 17 different layers. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. Um, we've got a cracking show coming up. Yeah, I'm excited. We caught footy's fever, footy final fever. Well, as you know, I'm a, I'm a big Richmond fan. Yes. I see, you know, you're, you know, there's all sorts of goodness in you. Yeah, 
good time of year. It is. We're feeling good. Were you there on Friday night? I wasn't. I was watching it on TV. Um, and you, it was a nice win. Were you pretty worried there at one point? Oh, I'm always concerned. I'm, there's never a point in the game where I'm not concerned. Yeah, yeah. It's in the Richmond DNA, <laughs> Richmond supporters DNA. Um, there are a couple of injuries, and that might give us a little something to uh, pick the brains of yeah. our guests on. We've yeah. got um, uh, a couple of people who have been very close to the action of both um, the AFL and the AFLW at some point. So we'll be welcoming in, in, <laughs> introducing them and welcoming welcoming. Okay. Tongue tied, can't Yeah. Um, uh, welcome, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing well this morning. They're going to come in. <laughs> we'll talk to them soon. Hey, but um, we're in the last few days of Radiothon as well. Um, and if you do happen to get your subscription in before Wednesday, you're still in the running for all the uh, all the goodness, the amazing prizes, all the amazing prizes that's available, um, and. Um, so give us a call or get on the web. We probably can't take your call right now unless we go unless you catch us during a music break. Um, but if you um, get on the web, you can uh, whip up and either renew or become a new subscriber to Triple R. And we just love those new subscribers to Triple R. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Hey, um, let's come back with a little bit of news. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I gotta. Well, um, it was a big week uh, in Melbourne, wasn't it? A big week around the world in regards to the climate strike. Yeah, it was um, an amazing, amazing week. Um, I'm particularly inspired. It was. Did you? Were you watching? You were there, weren't you? I was. Yep. I, I was in the in the midst of it, in the midst of the uh, the hundred thousand people, uh, hundred thousand plus who turned out in Melbourne for the the climate strike on Friday. The mood was extraordinary, wasn't it? Uh, it was palpable. The yeah. the signs were amazing. The people were amazing. Uh, there were plenty of amazing costumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People's imagination comes to the fore with the sign writing. It really does. I just don't know how people do it. I don't have that kind of imagination. It's good to see because you know the news feeds obviously love it when when they see a good sign and then those signs go viral and that keeps yes. raising the awareness and then and on we go. Um, but it's a significant health issue. This climate change business. Yeah, it's really not. Um, it's often not viewed as a health issue. It's mm. often viewed as a climate issue, which... Um, naturally enough. Naturally enough, it is a climate <laughs> issue. <laughs> the clue's in the name. Uh, yeah, well. Um, but we we know that they ha- it has a significant health impact on us and particularly developing nations. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that um, really needs to be uh, looked further into. Yeah, it really does. And um, one thing that really pleased me uh, in the last little while is that the AMA, the Australian Medical Association, has come out and taken a position on it. You yeah. know, the AMA, for obvious reasons, tries to be as, um, well, they, except on some very notable uh, instances, mm. they tend to avoid going directly to current government policy. Mm. And fair enough. They, and fair um, enough. Yep. They, they're a, they're a government, uh, they're a doctor's body, they're yep. not a government body. Uh, and they do need to take a neutral stance on what the government is doing. Yeah. Um, so they've come out, and I, I was looking at their, their statement on it, and um, they actually list for us how they understand climate change directly affecting health. I'll mm-hmm. just run through a few of them for you. Um, uh, 
it says that um, it's a scientific reality, okay? So they don't even leave room for ambiguity. They don't chime in with any questions that mm. um, there's not a consensus on this. Um, there's a scientific reality that climate change affects health and well-being by increasing the situations in which infectious diseases can be transmitted through extreme weather events, yep. particularly heat waves. They mentioned that climate change will cause higher mortality and morbidity from heat stress. Yep. Climate change will cause injury and mortality from increasingly severe weather events. I guess that's referring to storms and, yeah, and tornadoes. tornadoes and what have you. Um, it'll increase the transmission of vector-borne diseases. Mm, yep. Um, and it'll cause, and you were referring to uh, impact on, um, on developing countries, it'll cause food insecurity and decli- from declining. Mm. Um, well, I guess that could be anywhere in the world, really. Uh, agricultural outputs, declining out- agricultural outputs. And interestingly, and it's really um, come to the fore in my mind, but others have been thinking about it, um, is the incidence of mental ill health. Mm, That's an interesting one. Yeah, and there was a a cracking article published by um, uh, an academic up at the University of Queensland, and the article can be found uh, on their website, The Conversation. And she's um, drawing attention to this concept of eco-anxiety. Mm. And uh, and how it's um, uh, affecting our our mental health, um, and that this will be related to depending on how you your lifestyle relates to health. But obviously, um, we know farmers uh, have a, a great deal of um, mm. stress and anxiety around the impact of climate on their on their work, especially when there's significant drought. They yep. lose all their produce. They lose they lose their livestock. Uh, yeah, it must be awful. Yep, and then um, there's the displacement from where you call home. So mm. the sort of stress um, that a lot of the islanders in the Pacific are experiencing by the, the threat to homeland. Yeah, threat to uh, everything that they've ever known. Yep. It must, like, we as a very privileged nation probably can't uh, empathise with that, with that sentiment because we just don't really understand uh, the situation that they'd be in. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'd be very traumatic. Um, where are neonatal, some of our listeners who are still getting to know you've only been with us a couple of months, mm. um, uh, will be interested to know that you're a, a med student uh, in the advanced stages at uh, Uni Melbourne. What's mm. uh, What are the students up to, med students, doing in relation to climate change? Yeah, well, we were out in, uh, out in force at the, the climate strike. The University of Melbourne uh, actually put out a statement saying that they completely supported the, the climate strike, which uh, Education Minister uh, Dan Tehan put out a statement saying that um, the medical students should probably stay at university. Uh, but me and our very own training I've just got to pause you there. Isn't there just something very peculiar about whether when the politician, some politicians are saying, you know, the kids should just stay in school or the uni kids yeah. should stay in uni? The, kind of the, one of the motivating forces is that they have been in school, they have been in uni and they've mm. learned stuff. And now they want to make that learning translate into engagement. Yeah, and we recognise just how severe this uh, this crisis really is. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I was out. Training Wheels was out, uh, and we um, were showing our support. Oh, yeah, I saw Training Wheels. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, it was actually quite inspiring just how many medical students um, took the day off and decided to come and show their support for this crisis that we're facing. Does climate come up at all in the curriculum yet, or only peripherally? No, peripherally is uh, where it is. But yeah. um, 
I think the medical school is recognizing that it is a serious issue. And by putting their support behind it, they're saying, you know, we recognize this. Yeah. Uh, we're happy with you doing something to change it. Something going on there. Hey, uh, time's uh, racing away, and we've got a couple of uh, guests that we're really keen to talk to. Um, it's Radiotherapy. Um, you're with Panel Beta and Neonatal. Uh, let's go to some music and welcome in our guests. Triple R. Welcome back to uh, 3 Triple R and Radiotherapy with uh, Panel Beta and Neonatal. And we're welcoming into the studio a couple of special guests this morning. Uh, we've caught finals footy fever and we're joined by a club physiotherapist and, um, and a club doctor. So we've got plenty to discuss. Welcome, guys. We've got Simone Musket. Morning, Simone. Good morning. And we've got Andrew Lovett. Jowers. Yes. <laughs> Where did I get that from? I had that in my mind. Hey, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. First time into Triple R? Yeah, first time into Triple R. Good to have you. Good to have you. Hey, we're really keen to uh, talk you through a bunch of stuff that I'm sure a lot of um, football fanatics like uh, Neonatal and myself mm. are keen to um, keen to know a little inside uh, perspective on, on your work. Uh, Simone, as a physiotherapist at a club, and you've been recently club, uh, club physio. physio with Carlton AFL Women's and the VFL Women's. Fantastic. Can you just give us a kind of like a scoping description of what a, a physio at an AFLW club will be doing on a on a on a day to day basis through to game day? Yeah. So um, working with the AFL Women's, it's a little bit different than say working with the men's. Um, so. I'm usually there three days a week as well as the training session, whereas, say, a men's physio would be there day-to-day. So my role at the club would be um, turning up one to two hours before training, preparing the girls, um, screening for injuries, so flagging any potential injuries that might happen during training or during the games, Um, so preparing them in terms of uh, assessment, treatment, taping, and then monitoring during the training session um, and obviously during the game, attending to any injuries as well, and then um, after the training, um, addressing any issues and uh, recovery. Um, and so you mentioned you're doing assessment. Are you doing that? Uh, are you relying on the players themselves to draw attention to something? I imagine a lot of players don't want you to know stuff. Is that, is that the case? <laughs> that can be the case. Uh, look, I found probably more so in the men's than the women's. Uh, uh-huh. Women are quite um, good at telling you what they're feeling. Um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> whereas, say, the men can just sort of go under the radar a little bit. Look, everyone's really different. It's um, all on their personality. Um, we have, uh, I guess, things in place at the club. So we would have um, a few different screening tools that all the players um, are required to do every time they walk into the club um, as a mm. mandatory, um, really quick assessment screen. Um, but that would give us a indication on whether they're at a higher risk of um, a a specific injury for that uh, session or during the week. So we use those little markers to then, uh, that data, I guess, to follow up on the players. So we then look at that computer and go, okay, this person, is they're flagging a little bit today, so we'll go and Uh chase them up and then uh, they come to us and we'll deal with it from there. But on top of that, yes, the players do report, oh, I've got a little bit of a niggle or this isn't quite settling down and you just go from there in terms of assessment. Andrew, we can't let that pass. Would you concur that the blokes... Uh, at elite level, perhaps uh, at all levels, but certainly at elite level, they're they're not keen to let the medical staff know exactly what's going on because they don't want to avoid missing out? I think it differs in different sports, um, but AFL football's moved ahead in, in, lately, and, and as Simone said, we do a lot of screening. I mean, my role at the club on a Monday is 
is with the team we're screening those athletes so they, they often can't hide it if they've got to do a resisted hamstring contraction they can't mm, hide it when yeah, the numbers are sure. down or and yeah. and we have the computerized assessment of their of their mood and and sleep and all sorts of things like that we get that feedback on how they're feeling yeah so it's pretty hard to hide these days yeah so and you, it, you pretty quickly educate them that it's counterproductive the more <laughs> they know and the more they let us know the, the better we can deal with it yeah sure how um so as a club doctor how do you relate to the other medical staff so simone's a physio how are you talking to physios uh we we all we share the same workspace Mm -hmm. um as i said for example that screening process it's it's they'll they've got a set in time they'll they'll sit with a physiotherapist who'll ask some questions they'll do some testing there and they'll come in through the medical room following that so that so that through that process each player should come through and report to us and and then as a group we sit down afterwards and and talk about what we've found and what we're going to do um yeah so the communication is the key the most successful clubs communicate the best and communicating right through from doctors physios um strength and conditioning training support and then through the coaches is critical Mm. andrew you've been uh, with a couple of uh big clubs and most notably at the moment with Hawthorne, um, and being such a big club, they must be pretty resource-rich, and Simone, you're probably a bit envious, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Andrew, what, what exactly can a club like Hawthorne offer the players? Yeah, look, I have, I have been, but I've been through, I actually started with Collingwood in the 90s when uh-huh. the players were parking their utes outside at 5.30, <laughs> having dug a ditch all day and coming into training and and, you know, I worked from 5.30 to 9.30 or something. But, yeah, look, it's... And that's probably where the AFLW is now. Um, right. mm. But now where we are, I mean, you, you, yeah, I took a photo for a talk recently of our medical meeting, which we have at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. We run through the whole list. And there's 16 people in the room, you know, mm, <laughs> in yeah, the medical really. discussion. That says... Full-time? Not all full-time. Uh-huh. And certainly, certainly, as, as doctors, we're not full-time at the club. Uh-huh. Um, you know, certainly the tr- uh, strength and conditioning coaches and and uh, physiotherapists mostly full time. But we, we'd have a psychologist in that meeting. We'd have a welfare person, um, nutritionist. You know, all sorts of yeah, uh, tarot card reader. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. No. Simone, what's uh, what's going on at AFLW at the moment in terms of human resources in the med staff? Yeah, look, there's definitely a lack of funding um, in AFLW as, across the board, um, but doesn't mean we don't have access to those resources still. Um, so none of the staff, uh, except for the um, team managers and the general manager, um, they're full time. Everyone else is. Um, basically contracted um so we still have access to um, a health and well-being officer um, who plays that role of the psychologist we have access to a dietitian um uh, at Carlton there was two physios and osteo um about four or five trainers um as well as a number of um high performance um personnel mm-hmm. um who all together um basically acted to um yeah work on that player's welfare mm. so so no club doctor at... Oh, sorry, yes, club doctors, club doctors absolutely. Well. So we had um, one club doctor with the access to... Uh, sorry, the um, plan to have two club doctors for mm. the coming season. And Simone, on, still on the, with the angle of the resources, how many of those staff get to travel when it's a, uh, a distance mm-hmm. game? So skeleton staff, definitely. Yeah. Um, so for the AFL Grand Final for the women's uh, earlier this year, yeah. um, so we travelled to Adelaide for that, for Carlton, and... Um, 
definitely uh, the trainers uh, that were required to come came. There were uh, the two physios, myself, sorry, two physios, the osteo, uh, the doctor, and then only a handful of um, high performance uh, strength and yeah, conditioning. Right. So mm. there was definitely um, the, the amount of people that was needed were there, but um, people who weren't required weren't yeah. um, there. But so, Andrew, the the blokes, big team can move around at the especially during finals, if there's an interstate final, you'd go full complement of staff and what about during the season? Um yeah, we we if you look at it, I guess if we if we take a bus full of players, there's at least a bus full of staff as well. Right, okay. Um if you want to get an idea of yeah. the numbers. Um Hawthorne have this relationship with Tasmania, so we often head up to Launceston with that, take a fairly large crew. Um, but that also involves management, marketing, and all those people who put the show on as well. So in the terms of resources on game day, uh, down the rooms, what kind of resources do you have to accurately diagnose and kind of triage your players? So, well, at, a, at an AFL level, um, we've, we're staffed. We're usually, you don't, want to, you don't want to be too crowded. You don't want too many mm. people around. So we, we'll have two, top, two doctors and two physiotherapists essentially in, in the sort of medical area. Um, that allows, you know, if there's one player requiring treatment, someone comes off with one treatment, you've got that backup person. Um, we also have a radiologist who attends our games and mm. brings an ultrasound machine. So if we want to do sort of quick ultrasound scans in the rooms, then we can do that. Um, mm. But us as, as sports physicians, we're also trained in, and we can do that so we do that when we're away but at home games we'll have a radiologist there as well so there's an ultrasound machine what, what other equipment do you have um really just standard sort of emergency medical equipment something like that there, there's nothing um everyone wants to know all about the equipment and yeah. it's all really special <laughs> the and machine amazing. that goes bing yeah but it, if, to me it's about the people and it's about the communication yeah. but so you're staffed roughly the same as a basic ed for example uh yep yeah, yep yeah. ED neonatal? Uh, emergency department, <laughs> sorry. In fact, look, the AFL are pretty good. They back us up. We actually have an emergency physician at the grounds as well. So mm. if the proverbial hits the fan, you've got some, mm. uh, an emergency trained person to back you up and help you if needed. Mm. And I imagine this is not the case for AFL women's? Um, look, the, the first bit um, held true. So two physios at least and um, a doctor or two doctors, mm. but um, unfortunately no access to um, a radiologist or an emergency physician. Um, we're really lucky that um, the Carlton doctor uh, is an emergency or well, training to be an emergency physician. So right. we've got um, quite amazing access from that point of view and we've got really good um, resources and connections with radiologists, um, but unfortunately nothing on the ground on so the you, day. you work around it? We work around it, but it yeah, can definitely be worked around. Yeah. You're on uh, Radiotherapy with Neonatal and myself, Panel Beater, and we're joined by Dr. Andrew Jow at um, as club doctor at uh, Hawthorne and um, Simone Muscat, uh, a physiotherapist with uh, uh, AFLW. Um, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back um, in a moment to pick up on a little bit more of this uh, interesting conversation about elite footballers' injuries. Melbourne's own Triple R. 
You're on Radiotherapy with Panel Beater and Neonatal. You just heard a station announcement for all the prizes. Just three days left to go on the um, on the Radiothon to be in the running for all of those. So uh, get amongst it. We're joined in the studio by Dr. Andrew Jow at um, uh, Club Doctor at Hawthorne and Simone Musket, a, um, a, a physiotherapy a physiotherapist who's uh, worked with uh, the Carlton AFLW team. Guys, as insofar as injuries go, can we do a little bit of a compare contrast um, in men's and women's footy? Simone, what, what, what's the club seeing? Um, and, you know, maybe there aren't any differences, but what are you guys seeing? Uh, yeah, no, there's definitely differences between the um, men's and the women's. Whilst they can both suffer the same sort of injuries, uh, the women's uh, have a strong uh, prevalence in terms of concussion and ACL rupture. So obviously mm. there's been quite a, uh, a, I guess, a number of articles and um, interviews done with um uh, AFL women of recent um, as well as, as the physiotherapists who work with those clubs so there's um, definitely a strong tendency for women to experience those two injuries um, whereas the men are more likely to experience ligamentous and muscular based injuries is that right Andrew? Yeah I guess uh, ha- hamstring injuries those sort of high velocity running injuries are the big big issue groin overload injuries mm-hmm. comes in high too and, and ACLs are relatively uncommon but account for a lot of missed time Hmm. so I think the the main difference between the men's and the women's um, in terms of the ACL injury rate it's um, women are uh, 9.2 times more likely than a a male to sustain an ACL rupture in the AFL women's which is huge Um, and so that's all based on um, data that came out in 2017 Um, so is there any explanation for that heaps (laughs) where do I begin on the the ACL front yeah yeah so there's um in terms of risk of ACL rupture there's modifiable risks and non-modifiable risks so Uh the um modifiable factors with a female is um things like their biomechanics so they're really um Mm. heavy landers um compared to men uh their knee is more likely to um Mm. drop inwards when they do land um the they're more quad dominant so they tend to use their quads more than the hamstrings to right. stabilize the knee um, you're reminding me something i've i've mm. had a full knee acl reconstruction from a footy injury and um when i was talking to the surgeon about it, making small talk and i was you know saying oh you must see a lot of this and he says nothing quite like the number that we see from netballers yeah and so now listening to your explanation for it that makes perfect sense absolutely um, anatomically as well. So uh, women have uh, uh, smaller ACLs. The, the thickness of it is actually less. Than, right. So you're more likely to rupture it. They're anatomically, the um, the tibia, the way it sits, there's a smaller notch. There's so many factors that make a female more prone to rupturing the ACL compared to a man. Yeah. So what are you doing to try and mitigate this ri- the risk? Well, obviously the non-modifiable factors, so anatomically, we Mm. can't change that. That's just what we have to deal with. Um, And same with um, hormones, so we um, can't really modify that too much. Contraceptively, we can obviously put Mm -hmm. um, something in place, but we don't tend to unless we need to. Mm. Um, But from a uh, biomechanical point of view, there's lots we can do. So we work on the landing control, so we try to make the landing softer. We try to correct the knee position so that it's not collapsing inwards um, when they're put um, at risk during games. So AFL is a 360 game, so you're required to pivot, turn, jump, Mm. move, all directions. So we prepare the girls for this. Um, So lots of landing techniques, lots of change 
changing uh, the way they they move. So um, keeping the base of support quite uh, close together instead of um, at funny different angles when right. they go to jump. Yeah. So do you see a difference with the the younger players compared to? Well, it might be a bit hard with the AFL women's because it hasn't been around for that long. Yeah. But do you see a difference between the younger players and the older players when it comes to this this landing technique and the skills that you're you're trying to ingrain in their in their play? Does it make a difference? I think the um, the fact that it hasn't been around long is probably the key. Mm. Um, some of the younger players are actually better than the older players mm. for that reason. There's a lot of cross-coders in AFLW. Um, so as a result, a lot of the older players have actually cross-coded. Mm. Um, so they're the ones that we have to teach the technique. Um, whereas if you've been playing from a younger age, um, so the girls that are now going to come through the draft in the next four or five years, they're really going to have an advantage over the um, older girls because they, they understand how the game works, how the body needs to move mm. um so they're actually at lower risk you'd think of rupturing the acl they have the feel the touch for the game i don't want to be too pessimistic yeah. but <laughs> if we look at the data in soccer and women have been playing high level soccer for a long time mm. they still have an extraordinarily high rate of acl injury compared to male soccer players yeah and so as much as we could think of the naivety um, with the AFL game that, that will improve, um, it's still a big problem. Yeah. Mm. I don't think it'll ever get to that point where we can um, get parity in terms of ACL risk. I, th- yeah. I think that we can reduce it as much as we possibly can, but I don't think we'll ever get to that point just because of anatomical factors, yeah. How do um, you guys as part of the med team talk to the fitness team about about these sorts of things? Um, neonatal talks about mitigating um, the risk of injury and so on. Do you, uh, you mentioned you have these meetings. Are there lively conversations about what can and can't be done or what should shouldn't be done during training sessions? Sure. I mean, we, we started with a plan that starts before the, before the players come back and, and where the medical and physio staff are involved in the programs of every player and what they're going to be doing. And, and yeah, no one wants to see injuries and, and whatever we can do to prevent them, um, we work together as a team on that mm-hmm. and put in place. And I certainly know AFLW um, around the knee injury stuff. Yeah. That's right, isn't it, Simone? Yeah, there's heaps on that. So um, Latrobe, in conjunction with AFL, have um, created a prep-to-play program. Um, so they've rolled it out um, as well in community now, which is fantastic. Um, so the main purpose of the program is to reduce ACL risk mm. um, of injury. So um, there was a re- really great data done a few years ago that showed that with um, prevention programs we can... Sorry, prevention... Uh, mitigation programs, we can reduce the risk of injury by up to 67% in um, this population. So... Um, yeah, they're working really hard, so addressing the, the different um, components of the game, like I said before, landing technique, tackling mm. technique and so forth. We had we had a pretty bad uh, in, year at Hawthorne for hamstring injuries and so there were some pretty <laughs> lively discussions in those meetings and even post-season about... And we, we invited some experts to come and talk to us about it. We sent some players off for assessment. So, yeah, lots of discussion to try and prevent this sort of mm. injury. Um, while you're mentioning uh, hamstring, there's the um, uh, notable case of Jordan Degu uh, at the moment, who's just um, headed off to uh, Germany and he's back and he may even play. Oh, well, no, he won't. No, he won't oh, play. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Could you hear it in my voice? Um, um, he won't play, but he was looking as if he could play next week had, uh, had Collingwood got up uh, next week. Can you tell us what that procedure is and why players are going uh, to Germany to get it done. 
Yeah, look, I'm, I'm actually very grateful that Collingwood didn't make the, the grand final. We don't have to see him because I guess might put me out of a job. They oh, might really? be sending everyone on a plane to yeah, Germany yeah. for every hamstring that happens. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very grateful for GWS efforts last night. Um, um, I, I, I worked with the Socceroos in a, a former life and, and the uh, specialist they've gone to see, um, Dr. Hans Muller-Wulfart, was the German national team doctor and, and team doctor with Bayern Munich for yeah. many years. Um, and we had players from English soccer clubs going down and getting this treatment. And I remember one... Um, former captain Craig Moore, who went down and and after the after his treatment, he presented me with an itemised bill of all the all the therapies he had during his um, his uh, assessment and treatment in the in the clinic, and it was astonishing. And, and um, to hear his discussion about it, and look, I I must admit I'm fairly sceptical. I I don't think there's anything offered that we can't do here. They basically throw the kitchen sink at, at them. They have all sorts of um, sort of vitamin infusions and mm-hmm. manual treatment, and often have an epidural injection and have injections into the muscle. And they basically throw everything at them in uh, in a facility that's that's bright, sparkling, new. Um, has young nurses in traditional nursing outfits, doctors in lace, uh, in uh, buttoned-up uh, lab coats with mm. monogrammed initials on them, and, and the placebo <laughs> factor is, is massive here. Right. Controversial. Okay. It kind of makes sense. So, the, so there's no reason why it can't be done in Australia. It's just that uh, perhaps the med community is just not super enthusiastic about making it happen. Uh, we, we've... Don't worry, lots of people have looked at it and... and, and but we, we tend to go on a, on a pretty strong evidence base for what mm. we do um, and what we do across the board. There, look, there is one of the injections that you can't import into Australia that they have over there. That's the calf blood yeah, right. stuff. But, yep. mm. you know, again, I don't right. see a lot of evidence in the literature showing how that <laughs> stuff works anyway. So, mm. um, Game day injuries. So things like blood and concussion and fingers and and that carry on. There's the um, these are these are obvious to the spectators and the viewers. Um, can you tell us what happens just in a typical blood injury? So blood rule might be a nose, it might be an eye. Um, Joel Selwood famously just routinely gets a cut above the eye every game. Um, what's the what happens at that point? Yeah, we got, we got to the point with Ben McAvoy where we'd actually tape his forehead before the game because <laughs> we're going to end up doing it anyway. Um, look, really, you know, downtime, we, we want... In most cases, there's no risk for these players. That if they have a... You know, you certainly if they have another injury with it, if they've got a cut on their eye, on their head, have they had a concussion underneath that? So you've got to assess for that, mm-hmm. first thing. And then... Yeah, most of the bleeding's relatively minor, a nose, for example. Um, make sure there's, again, no other injury associated with it. And it's really whatever you can do to stop it as fast as you can and get them back out there. And so that's why mm. you see the horrid taping jobs and everything else that they have. Um, we do use, you know, relevant medications that you can get a short, um, a sh- a quick effect on. Um, Pain relief. Oh, mm. I'm thinking of um, topical medications okay. to stop bleeding and the like, you know, yep. anything with topical adrenaline in it or cause the blood, mm. blood vessels to spasm and stop bleeding. Some nasal sprays we sometimes use that, that are used by ENT surgeons to stop, stop bleeding. Some dressings. There's a seaweed-based dressing that stops bleeding quite quickly. So there's a number yep. of things you can 
used quickly to stop it bleeding. Um, yeah. In with game day injuries, tell us about the pressure that comes from the coaching staff um, and and from the player, even I imagine, where they're trying to play it down and you're trying to be as pragmatic as you can. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that pressure varies through the season. So if you're in the grand final, get back out there. <laughs> but if it's early in the season, it might be more about managing something and you'd keep them off the ground a bit longer. Absolutely. Um, it can be yeah quite challenging on um, game day. White line fever obviously yeah. mm. is quite high. Um, and particularly when it's a grand final, we had um, Taylor Harris um, ruptured her PCL during the grand final. Mm. Sorry, it was a not quite a rupture, but um, quite a bad injury to the PCL. Um, and so we, uh, we're we quite conscious of the media uh, as well on game day. So we were blocking the TV as much as we could so we yeah, could assess yeah. it without the scrutiny of um, just people <laughs> around. Um, look, it can be definitely challenging. We tried to get her back out there um, without, uh, like with assessment, with taping, uh, to see if we could get her to play, but it just wasn't going to happen. So at the end of the day, you have to put the player first um, in terms of the injury. Um, So different injuries will, um, I guess, change your management. If you are suspecting a concussion, no matter what, you have to pull the player and you have to assess them properly. So even if they don't want to talk to you, it doesn't really matter. But the concussion one's a a rules-based decision, isn't it? So if 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 you guys identify a concussion, you're not actually allowed to put them back on the ground, Oh, right? absolutely. So, yeah. If, yeah, if you can identify a concussion, absolutely. But the hard thing is actually identifying them. They're not all that, that straightforward. They don't all just uh-huh. flop to the ground and uh, become mm. unconscious. Um, there are players that can get hits to the chest, so they don't even um, experience uh. a head knock, and they can actually be concussed mm. whilst they're quite uncommon. Um, you, you can definitely identify those as well. Um so yeah, so sometimes players come off and they just experience the lightest bump to the head, but it can actually um, cause quite the concussion, particularly in women. Women um, experience concussion a lot more easier than uh, easily than men, and the severity of them and the duration of the concussion lasts longer. On the subject of concussion, once you've identified it, what, there's some pretty good evidence saying that there's a um, that you really need to take them off, you need to give them uh, give them rest, you need to make sure that they're not really interacting. What what steps are you taking with concussions that, um, like, say you've identified it, what are the next steps that you run through? It depends on the severity of concussion. So there's um, definitely modifiers of concussion mm. that you um, have to act upon. So anything that's um, quite high, you're potentially going to go for um, a scan, I imagine. I'll leave that to Andrew <laughs> to answer. So I guess you're trying to... Uh, concussion is a, a non-structural injury. It's a sort mm. of biochemical functional injury. And it's not detected on a scan. Um, so scans are really for, is there something else? Uh, yep. Is there a is skull there a fracture or a bleed or something more significant? And the signs are probably pretty different than that. Mm. So so with a concussion, recognise it's the first thing, remove them from the ground mm. and then assess them. Um, and, and that assessment, you know, involves a, a sideline concussion assessment tool mm-hmm. um, and you run through a number of sort of cognitive tests mm. and you know i'll ask them lots of questions and and you have to be careful because we need a baseline we need to know what level footballers are start at so yeah. you know, <laughs> you're uh, going to cast aspersions are you? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we look at their symptoms and we are balance tests are really important we do yeah. balance tests and things like that so they have a fairly thorough assessment at the time it takes about 20 minutes which is which is why the sort of 20-minute uh-huh. window yep. exists or used to exist for a concussion sub. Um, and then then 
you know, if there's any suspicion of a more significant injury, you refer them off and they might need to go to hospital. Most of the time they don't. We right. get them somewhere quite fairly quiet to rest. Yeah. And one thing, we, we certainly put them on the list that they don't do any uh, media interviews after the game, which ah. was interesting. I heard one of the yeah. concussed players interviewed on Friday night, which was a bit un- <laughs> unusual. So, And then, um, yeah, the rest, the discussion about rest is fairly interesting. I, I think rest is appropriate, but it's not long. Yeah, right. It, it, it's actually the evidence shows that early return to physical activity in most cases is probably the right thing to do. And how it's early? the level of physical activity. 24 hours? Mm. Yeah. Great. 24 hours, something like that. But you need to also think about, you know, in, in a different population, um, uh, a school, you know, mm. maybe there's a rest from school um, and also things like screen time. Um, mm, and that's yes. a big issue now. Yeah, screen time's huge in terms of the athletes trying to keep them off their phone mm. or computer for 24 yeah. hours. You've got to say, okay, rest. Don't, you're not allowed to watch TV. Don't when you're concussed. Yeah, exactly. They're like, what am I supposed to do for 24 hours? Yeah, and right. you're going, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got to take one last uh, short break um, before we come um, bring this thing home. You're on Radiotherapy with Neonatal and Panel Beater. We're joined by Dr. Um, Andrew Jowett from uh, Hawthorne and Simone Musket from the AFLW and from with Carlton. We'll be back in just a moment. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Welcome back to uh, Radiotherapy with Neonatal Panel Beater. We're joined by uh, Simon... Uh, I'm having a horror morning getting my words out today. Let alone pressing the buttons, yeah. Simone Musket and Dr. Andrew uh, Jowett. Um, guys, within the last few minutes we've got left, um, we were put in touch by the uh, Sports Medicine Australia. And, Andrew, could you you, you wear another hat in that uh, organisation? Do you want to tell us what they're up to and how that fits into what we're talking about today? Yeah, look, I'm chairman of Sports Medicine Australia. Um, Simone's on our Victorian State Council. Um, we... Sports Medicine Australia is a multi—it's a peak multidisciplinary sports medicine body in the country, and it's more uh, a community focused, I guess, where we're we're connecting all the experts across all the disciplines in sports medicine, but we're also um, providing res- resources and expertise for the community. Um, we do a lot of education trainers, a lot of the trainers on the sidelines of community footy fields, for example, have done a Sports Medicine Australia course, and. Online, we provide lots of resources, and I guess just following on from our, our discussion on concussion, Sports Medicine Australia is pretty active in in setting policies and procedures, and one of them we collaborated with the AIS, um, the AMA, and the College of Sport and Exercise Physicians to produce a concussion in sport website, which has got a whole suite of resources, both for professionals, but parents, coaches, players on concussion. So if you Need further information, www.concussioninsport.gov.au. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that's a really important thing because I think uh, concussions are quite a common injury. I had a lot of it in things like basketball and never had anything like that, never had the 24-hour rule. We just didn't didn't have the information. So it would be a good, good resource for parents to keep on hand if... Um, are we very far away, do you think, from mandatory headwear in some fashion, especially at maybe the junior level? Um, hopefully, yeah. Um, the, there's no evidence that, that uh, headgear reduces the risk of concussion. In fact, in some cases it may increase. Uh-huh. Mm. It increases the, the size of the head, so it's a bigger target, increases the weight of the head, 
Um, it may reduce peripheral vision, so you can't avoid contact. And I've certainly seen it in kids. It may actually give them that inv- invincibility mm, pill where they yeah. drive in with their heads. So, so I mean... You know, we talk about concussion. American footballers are wearing motorcycle helmets and getting concussed. So I'm not necessarily sure that's the way to go. Yeah, right, right. Um, We're running uh, close to time, um, but I'm really keen to get your observation of current trends in the fields that you're both working in at the elite level. Um, Simone, how would you identify physiotherapy unfolding at the moment? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Tough question. Um, uh, look, I think uh, as a whole, so physio as a whole as opposed to just in elite sport, um, yeah, look, it's um, definitely a positive trend. It's um, there's, there's a growing number of physiotherapists across Australia, um, and if not across the world. Um, Australia is certainly setting the trend in many ways for um, high-quality physiotherapists, and I think, um, yeah, looking to the future, it's looking quite bright. Um there's a world where I think um, physios will interact further uh, more with doctors um, mm. and other colleagues. So osteos and chiros, I think there will be um, potential space for that. Um, exercise physiologists, I think um, in the sporting field, physios will continue to cross over with exercise scientists and physiologists. And I mm. think, um, yeah, that will sort of be the space going forwards. Mm. Andrew, how are you seeing things? Our specialty sport and exercise medicine is a, is a new specialty, relatively new, only 30-something years old. Where, where we're going is, is very much into public health and the benefits of exercise and using exercise as a treatment for so many conditions. And I hope we can get this on our curriculum in medical schools in the near future so neonatal can learn a yeah. bit more about <laughs> it. Um, yeah, so that's where and I think public health advocates. So. Nice one. Yeah. Hey, um, in one word, guys, predictions for next week. Richmond. Yeah, Richmond. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Thanks, Andrew, for joining us. Andrew from Hawthorne, Dr. Andrew Jowett from Hawthorne Football Club and Simone Musket from uh, the AFLW and um, most recently with uh, Carlton. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.